Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Joe, we thank you for his dedication, we thank you for his talents, and we thank you in advance that we know you are going to speak through him today, Lord. We pray real clarity, Lord. We pray just arrows of wisdom coming through into our lives today, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Before I start anything, I want to introduce you all to someone. Jake, I know I didn't actually prep him on this, but you want to stand up and give everyone a wave? So Jake's now moved in with myself and Joel over on 122 Boundary Road, and he's doing ID this year. Not necessarily here, I don't know what community, but he's doing ID and he's part of a church family, and next week at the Baptism Sunday we'll be introducing all the ID students, and so, yeah, it's great, so it's lovely to have you here, mate. Um, so, I've written here, start with a joke. And I really want you all to laugh, because if I st start with a joke and none of you laugh, it's going to be really awkward. So can you all promise me that you're going to find it funny? <laughs> um, but no, honestly, it's not like a classic one-liner. It's like I've actually observed this. It's from the Bible, and I think it's actually hilarious. So where I've been reading from Mark, and I've been kind of cross-referencing and looking a little bit at Luke and looking at how Luke does things, looking at how Mark does things. And like Mike said, Mark is very... Mark uses the word immediately 41 times throughout his gospel. He's very now, 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 now. And I just, I observed it because Mark, or Luke, Luke, for example, so we're talking about John the Baptist. Audrey preached on um, the entry of John the Baptist last week. And in Luke, it talks about John the Baptist, and it says about how the angel appeared to Zechariah and told him all this stuff and then Zechariah was like oh, and then he had his mouth shut and it all stopped and then it didn't open again until John the Baptist was then born and how you know when Mary went to Elizabeth for baby John leaped for joy and then John was born and then all of this stuff happened and then he was out and then Mark says John appeared and that's it and it's just a really funny contrast that shows so well how Mark is so now 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 getting straight to it completely unlike, unlike Luke, and I would find it really funny if they met. They probably did actually meet. Um, it doesn't say anywhere, but they were all kind of around the same people, and I can just imagine them hashing it out. But yeah, so I'm preaching from Mark 1, 9 to 13, and I'll read it out now. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was being tempted in the wilderness for forty days by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus from Nazareth comes to John the Baptist to be baptised into the Jordan. He's been baptised and he came up out of the water. That, so that suggests that he was fully immersed in the water and he came back up. And when he came back up, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended upon him, not as a dove. Some people get the wrong thought of the Holy Spirit coming form in the form of a dove. And Luke actually says he came in bodily form, but it's like a dove, so kind of gracefully came down. He came upon Jesus and then he heard the voice of the Father saying, You are my son. And with you, I am well pleased. And then, being filled with the Spirit, he went out into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan for 40 days. So, 
If you're like me, you'll look at this passage and you'll see all the why questions. Uh, haven't we just heard that John the Baptist's baptism is a baptism for the repentance of sin? Or it's, you know, it's for forgiveness? And why on earth was he then filled with the Spirit and then sent out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days? But there's lots of why questions we can ask. And when I first read this, I was like, why, 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 why? But Luke, Luke, Mark doesn't want us to focus on the whys. He's not trying to give us the whys. He's trying to allow us to focus on the who. So whereas the other Gospels go more in depth on the baptism and the temptation, Mark whizzes through it because he wants us to focus in on who is Jesus. Not why this, not why that, but who is Jesus. And so I've got a little, little demonstration. And I need a child. Olivia! Can you come here? Please. Okay. Malaika, come on. Okay. So I've got a passport here. And we're not good, so don't tell them who it is. So you see, you see who it is. Okay, so you've got to just go find them. All right? Go for it. Okay, it wasn't that hard. Okay, Malika, you can come back. So you found it. All right, that's literally what I needed. So you can keep that. It's all right. Um, so, 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 so Malika found Joel because she looked at the passport, she opened it up, she saw Joel Felton, saw his picture, and she was able to identify that that is, in fact, Joel Felton. However, many people might think it's Nat. It is Joel, and she's able to tell that by using the passport. Likewise here, Mark is using the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, to show us who he is, to show us and identify to us that this is Jesus the Messiah. This is Jesus who came to save. That is what he's doing. So, Jesus goes to John the Baptist to get baptised. And like I said, it's not the main focus of the passage. It's not what John... Well, he's called John, but it's John Mark. Mark wants us to focus on... He wants us to focus on who? But it is important also to look at the baptism of why did Jesus do this. And it actually does also show us a bit of who Jesus is and his character of why he did it. And it shows us that by showing us how he began his ministry. And he began his ministry with humility... John's baptism, like I said, was a baptism for the, for the forgiveness of sins, for repentance. But surely Jesus is the one guy who didn't need to do it. Jesus is the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. But yet he humbled himself and he, he came to be baptised by John, who in himself is a sinful man. And so we'll look at a couple of reasons why he might have wanted to get baptised by John. And one of them is repentance. So the word repent means to turn and it means to turn away from, in our case, to turn away from sin and turn towards God. And it's this action of literally turning away from sin, but sin's behind me, it's God, I'm turning towards God, I'm following him. And although Jesus absolutely had no sin that he needed forgiveness or repentance for, it still shows that action of turning towards the Father, showing and displaying his openness to him and complete submission to him. We can also look at Moses. Moses was someone in the Old Testament who kind of had this royal status in Egypt. And Moses is a reflection of Jesus, 
We can see Jesus in Moses. Because Jesus led us, slaves, spiritual slaves, captives to, to Satan, to his darkness. And he led us out into the light, into freedom, to walk in his grace. Likewise, Moses was raised up by God and took the slaves in Egypt, God's people, and led them out into the promises of God. And Moses gives up his royal status to identify with his people. And then through the power of God, delivered them out of it. Similarly, Jesus humbles himself by entering the ranks of sinners, not that he was a sinner, but that he came to us, to earth, God himself came to us, to earth, took human form, and, and he stood where we stood, and he died for us. And his baptism launches him on the servant road of obedience that actually leads to his death, even his death on a cross. We're all on this walk of repentance. It says in Luke 3.8 to bear fruit by keeping in with repentance. We are on this walk of repentance day in, day out. And Jesus himself comes with us and says, I'm here with you. I'm stood here with you. I'm walking this walk with you. I'm with you every step of the way. He came and he stood where we stood so that by his grace we can stand where he stands. Blameless and holy, righteous and purified in the sight of God. And then it's written, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens tore open. And the Spirit came down and descended upon him. And this I find really significant because the Greek word used for for the torn, where, where we're talking about the heavens being torn, is the same as it is used for when the veil was torn when Jesus died. And it's not really used that much elsewhere. And the, the veil that we're talking about when Jesus died was the veil in the temple. That there was kind of, there was, so there's a temple and you'd go and there's the kind of a holy part and then there was the veil and then there was the holy of holies. Only the highest priest could go only once a year after they'd performed all the correct sacrifices and rituals that they needed to actually get in there. And this veil was, was where God's presence was. And so that's why they had to do so much to actually get in there. So when Jesus died and the veil was torn from top to bottom, it was signifying that there's no more this separation between us and God, but through the redemption that comes through Jesus, we can all come into the presence of God. There wasn't a barrier anymore. That barrier was broken by the sacrifice of Jesus and we can walk in and have a relationship with him. And when Jesus was baptised, we see the heavens being torn open. We see the Spirit descending upon him and we see the voice of God being heard for the first time in 400 years. And then when he died, we see the veil torn, God's kingdom accessible to us. We see the Spirit accessible to us. And we see the voice of God, a relationship with him accessible to us all. Jesus died once for us all. And that, that baptism experience for Jesus, for what happened with him, is a reflection of what happens to us all at his death. And I think that's really significant. And then it says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And John, in John it tells us that it remains upon him. And this is also really important because this doesn't happen every day. Like I said, God hasn't spoken to his people in 400 years, although he did through John the Baptist, not many people actually knew it. And now Jesus comes up out of the water and the Spirit of God descends upon him. It's such an incredible moment that Mark doesn't want us to just glance over. The people who have seen, they would have, you know, there was this 
amazing, incredible event that happened where the heavens opened, the spirit came down, the voice of God was heard, and no one would have seen it. No one would have heard anything. The scriptures suggest that this was just the moment between God and, uh, God and his father. Well, yeah, but Jesus and his father. But other people, it would have looked like a pretty normal baptism. For the next eight chapters of Mark, they're discussing question after question after question. Who is Jesus? If they all saw it, I don't think that there would have been so many questions on his identity. But up until, there's question after question after question, until chapter 8, verse 29, where Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say I am? And they say, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're a prophet. And he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. When people saw Jesus get baptised, like I said, it would have looked fairly normal. And there was still questioning going on there. But Mark, straight away, immediately, gives us this special insight, this privileged view into who Jesus is that we can see in his baptism. Jesus, receiving the Spirit, is meant to send alarm bells off in our head, ringing, he is the Messiah. Between the Spirit descending upon Jesus and the Father declaring, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, Mark is screaming the Old Testament at us. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And these are both messianic prophecies, which means prophecies that are regarding the Messiah who is to come, the anointed one who is to save Israel and bring the people out of their sin and redeemed. So when it's talking about someone receiving the Spirit and then being sent and empowered to go out and fulfill a ministry, that is the, he's the Messiah. And that's exactly what we're told happens to Jesus. So when Mark says the Spirit came upon him, this is his way of shouting at us, this is him. This is the one. This is God's chosen and anointed servant. For everyone at the time, there was still, like I say, questions. But for us readers, he's telling us straight away, he's the glorious Messiah who came to save. And Mark then doesn't stop there. He then goes on and says about the voice of the Father that comes down to Jesus and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And this is another alarm bells moment, but this time it's ringing a bit louder. In this statement, there is such personal love from the father to his son. And there's also a complete affirmation to us of who Jesus is. This is leaving like, his status completely out, out of a question. It's got to be him. In verse 1, Mark says to us, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now in verses 10 and 11, he's saying, you don't just need to take my word for it, but look at his baptism it's him. So how does this statement tell us who Jesus is? Again, we look to the Old Testament, because that wasn't actually even a New Testament then, so we have to look to the Old Testament. And in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 is another, it's a messianic psalm, meaning it's speaking regarding the Messiah who is to come, God's anointed one. Messiah and Christ both translate to anointed one. So it's speaking specifically about God's anointed, and it says that you are my son, and today I have begotten you. In Isaiah 9.6, I'm going to ask for some of your help. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he and the, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Mighty, Everlasting, Prince of Peace. Amen. And we can also look at Genesis 22. And in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, beloved, my beloved son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and after him, there offer him as a, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I tell you to go. And so Abraham, extremely obedient, takes Isaac, his son, they go to the mountain, Isaac's then given, he makes Isaac carry the wood that he's then going to be offered on. And when he goes up to the mountain, they lay him on it, he's about to slaughter him, it says. And then the angel of the Lord came and said, Abraham, Abraham, wait, now we know that you fear God. And God then gave them a ram that would be sacrificed on the behalf of Isaac instead of Isaac, so that Isaac might have life. And this event in Genesis is showing us Jesus both through Isaac and through the ram. Isaac's the only beloved son of Abraham that is sacrificed. And he's made to carry the wood that he was to be offered on, just as Jesus carried the cross that he was to be sacrificed on. And then in the ram, you hear about the lamb of God. We don't hear so much about the ram of God, but they're, they're both referring to Jesus throughout the Bible. And the ram is provided so that Isaac may not die but have life, as Jesus was given to us so that we might not die but have life in him. And throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah who was to come to set Israel and the rest of the world free from their spiritual captivity is shown to be the Son, the Son of God, throughout. And there's so many more examples of this throughout the Bible. I just won't go through all of them now, otherwise we'll be here all day. So when God the Father declares, this is my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased, there is no doubt left in our minds that this Jesus is, is Yeshua, the Saviour, the Salvation. And even the, the well pleased, when we see my Son whom I'm well pleased with, it's that Isaiah 42 verse 1 again where it says, in whom my soul delights. He's well pleased. So we see throughout it, again and again, every reference to this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah. Mark clearly shows us through this declaration who Jesus is. And then in verses 12 and 13, we see that Jesus then, after this experience, is sent out into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days by Satan. And if I was to name this sermon anything, I would call it Identity and Identifies. Because it's all about Jesus' identity, and it's also throughout it we see how he identifies with us as sinners. Because who gets baptised? Us. Who gets tempted? Us. And we see Jesus here, God himself, going through exactly the same things. And again, in Luke and in Matthew, they, they spend a lot more time, like over 10, 15 verses, talking about the temptation, exactly what happened, and how every time Jesus responded with Scripture as his defence for temptation. But Mark doesn't do that because he doesn't want to draw too much attention to it. He's just showing us the spiritual conflict behind the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The conflict that tells us that Jesus is going to overcome death. Otherwise, Satan wouldn't be so worried. He wouldn't himself come and tempt just someone who's not really going to do much. But this is Jesus the son and he knows it it's like you know all the demons knew who jesus was 
He shows us the power that he has. And it shows us the power that he has in that he overcame it all. He was tempted in every single way. It tells us in Luke 4.13 that in every respect he was tempted. And in Hebrews 4 verse 14 it says, We do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathise with us, but one who was in every way tempted as we are, but yet without sin. And so let us boldly approach the throne of, of grace and mercy with confidence that we might receive help in our time of need. You know, he overcame it. He's showing us that he is worthy to beat death. And he went on and we know that he did. He was tempted as we are and he can sympathise with us. He can identify with us in our moments when we're, when we're facing temptation, when we're failing, when we're falling short. The word sin literally means to fall short. When we're doing that, it's not we have to move away from God. Because that's always my tendency. When I sin, when I fall short, my, it's like, God is so holy, you're so good, I'm so down. So I want to move away from God because he's so holy and I'm so not. But actually, he overcame so that when we fall short and don't overcome, he can say, it's all right, my son, my daughter, I've done it for you, and you can approach me with all the confidence that you have through Jesus and receive my grace and my mercy. And then I also want to touch on that he went in the field and came out empowered. In Luke 4.14 it says, that he came out empowered for ministry and he went out and he did that. But when he was entering into the wilderness, it just says he was filled. So he went in filled and he came out empowered and showed how that experience of him being tempted led to him then being empowered and stirred, filled with the Spirit to go on and complete his ministry. And he did. The sick were made well, the blind were healed, the deaf heard, the paralytics walked, the lepers were cleansed, the poor and the hungry were fed. The demonically oppressed was set free. He did it all and he completed his ministry empowered by the Spirit. And it wasn't one that started with this, you know, some of the Jews used to think that the Messiah would come with all these war plans. But how would he do it? But he started it with humility and baptism, not being, he, he is above us, but he came to us and he stood where we stood. He tore the veil, the presence of God, which was blocked to us is broken and we can now enter in he is the Messiah who the spirit is upon who is the worthy son of God who overcame every temptation and he now invites us to approach his throne so whether you have never heard of Jesus and it's the first time you've ever been in church there's an invitation to approach his throne and receive grace for what you need and if you've come to church your whole life, we all still fall short of the glory of God. Don't move away from him in the times when you fall, but move closer towards him so he can change you and transform your heart more so. He invites you to approach him. So I'm going to end it there. Thank you very much. Bless you all.